1: The opinions expressed on this webmasterradio.fm program are those of the host, guests, and callers, and do not reflect those of the staff, management, or advertisers of webmasterradio.fm. Any rebroadcast or retransmission of this program without the express written consent of webmasterradio.fm is prohibited. Welcome to Webcology. Webcology is the show that takes you into the deepest and darkest ends of the ecosystem on the Internet. Our guides will take you a journey into web marketing, and bring you the experts and the information so that you can further explore the web marketing world. Now, here are the hosts of Webcology, Jim Hedger and Dave Davies.
0: Hello everybody, welcome to Webcology on Thursday, July the 16th, 2009. This is Jim Hedger from webmasterradio.fm and well, and while Dave's not here today, Dave is actually on the Sea to Sky Highway, that little ribbon of cement that runs from sea level up to about 2,500 to 3,000 feet up where the ski resort of Whistler and Blackholm, home of the Olympics, or 2010 Winter Olympics, are... Um, Near Vancouver, Dave's on vacation. He's checked out, he's split, he's left the building. And, yeah, that's the way I feel. You know, I found out by email this morning, too. I got a Dear Jim letter from uh, from my co-host Dave. Dear Jim, having fun. Wish you were here. Or something to that effect. By the way, you can't be on the show. I forgot. I'm uh, driving to Whistler today. So I'm soloing. You get the dulcet tones of me, but you also get a great show today because... We've been here at Webmaster Radio. We're gearing up for Search Engine Strategies San Jose 2009. That's happening from the 10th to the 14th um, in San Jose. And as part of our coverage, and this is, I mean, when we do the San Jose show, we go big. This is the the, the largest show in the search marketing sphere, and um, we're going all the way with it. And we've been interviewing a number of the speakers ahead of time, and I got to interview Charlene Lee yesterday. We pre-recorded an interview, we were going to run it as part of our SES coverage, and um, the interview was great. It was so good, in fact, that instead of the seven-minute interview we were supposed to do, we kept on going until about a 30-minute interview, and so I thought I'm going to use it for the Webcology show this week, and that's exactly what we're going to do. But before we get to Charlene Lee, and uh, incidentally, those of you who don't know the name Charlene Lee, shame on you, go to Google, go to Bing, uh, check it out. She's uh, one, of the, one of the, you know, I can't, I can't say enough about Charlene Lee. I've been admiring her work for years, um, one of the top analysts in the industry. So, moving right along. Speaking of search engine strategy San Jose, it's going to be a uh, slightly different search engine strategy than the ones that we're used to. Um, at least in one major way, there is no Google Dance at this SES San Jose, which is which is weird. Now for uh, listeners who, who remember the you know who are who are SES veterans, the Google Dance is, you know, that's the prime uh, primo event of the of the of the of the show. That's the one that, that people, you know, really want to that people really want to go to. It's, a, it's the big party at the Googleplex. You get, like, 5,000 people trooping onto buses and being transported out to Google. And this year, Google's announced that they are not N.O.T., not going to happen, no Google Dance at Search Strategies. Oh, my God! Um, that's, not, that's what I said, George. That's exactly what I said. Oh, my God, exactly. no Google Dance. You know, you, know, you know what I said just after that? If there's no Google Dance, we're going to get schlumped at Search Bash. Um, as, uh, you know, as Webmaster Radio fans and as people who attend the Search Engine Strategy show will know, Webmaster Radio throws a massive party. It can only be described as a spectacle. Spectacle isn't even, you know, spectacle is too soft a word. Our, our Really, our, our goal with Search Bash is to blow your mind and then fill the empty part of your cranium where your mind used to be full of alcohol, so at least there's something in there. That's our goal at Search Bash, and we're going to do that this year. We're going to do that big time, and um, SES asked us to step up to the plate and be the premier event at the conference. So that's it. No Google Dance. Search Bash 09 is going to be the premium, free, all inclusive event. And that's going to be happening on the Tuesday night. Um, so, Tuesday, the August 11th, come to Search Bash. Go to SearchBash.com. We're going to be opening the registration very soon. Um, probably by tomorrow, we'll be opening registration for Search Bash. Get registered, get in there. It'll be a fun party. And while I'm on the subject, these parties, as anyone who's been to a Webmaster Radio Search Bash or Affiliate Bash knows, these parties are very expensive to throw. They're massive affairs. They're, um, they're big. We're expecting thousands of people to show up. You know, we uh, we, we do pretty good with our commercial advertising. Uh, lots of people want to advertise with us on Webmaster Radio, and given our listenership, I, I understand why, but advertising revenues are advertising revenues alone doth not organize a big spanky party for the industry. We need sponsors. So, you know, we just we just got told recently that we got to step up to the plate. We're going to. You know, we're Webmaster Radio. We come through the, for the community every time. But we need the community to come through for us a little bit and help us a little bit with sponsorship. So if you know anybody, get in touch with Darren Babin, get in touch with Brandy Shapiro Babin. Um, talk to me via Facebook or Twitter and we'll... Uh, We'll, we'll get a truly unique marketing opportunity lined up for whomever is the brilliant and lucky company to sponsor Search Bash.
1: Let's not understate, Jim, by the way, with Search Bash. In the last couple of Search Bashes that we've thrown, we've been upping the ante on every one of them.
0: I know. It, it,
1: it, you know. this
0: intimidates me. <laughs> I mean, we I mean, went when last think, oh,
1: year. We don't... Last year, San Jose, we did the whole Cirque du Soleil kind of thing, suspended in midair kind of thing, right? Incredible. To PubCon, doing the Perfecto show, customized for our sponsors. Getting the uh, getting the 2006 uh, Playboy the Playmate of the Year uh, Kelly Monaco, or what was her name? I forgot now. Cara Monaco.
0: To uh, you know what I was too busy working the show.
1: I know, no, no, Oh yeah, I know, I know. And then to affiliate bash we just had, which is the same idea as a search bash. Again, upping the ante every time.
0: Well, you know, trying to beat what we did at our last, our two previous search bashes. Plus, we the had to increase in the venue I last we, year. Uh-huh. The one in San Jose last year and the rewriting perfecto at uh, at the Palms in Vegas. We're gonna top it. I actually, you know, I am not. I can't say on the air, but uh, Brandy was kind enough to let me in on some of her plans. Um, she's, the, she's the creative brains behind the shenanigans you see going on at Search Bash, and um, it's going to be pretty wild. Rumor has it, I
1: think we have to change venues because we need a bigger place to hold everybody.
0: Well, that's what I've heard, but I also, as, as I understand it, we're actually going to be holding it at a club called Pure, which is actually Vivid, the place that we've always held it. Yeah. But we're we're creatively expanding the floor space of that club, because again, George, without a Google Dance, I mean, you you've been to the SES shows, you know that. Know. At the end of the day, people want to hang out, they want to get together, they want to go do something fun, and uh, we're, the, we're the we're we're the first night of the full conference. Um, this training session's on the Monday night. On the Monday, I don't think there's any event scheduled for the Monday night. Then come Tuesday, boom, conference on. And that evening is Search Bash. The next night is the I Am Charity Party, which uh, I have to urge people to sign up for, and I have to urge people to go to. That has a fee attached to it, but the fee goes to a good cause. Um, the Children's Hospital, um, Children's Hospital of Denver and the Lymphoma Leukemia Society. Um, Got to go to that party. I'm not sure what's happening on the, on the last night, the Thursday night, but again, I'm going to reiterate, the Tuesday night search bash, it's going to be huge. Um, I can't tell you what we're going to do, but I got dibs on the Cheshire Cat. That's a, that's that's kind of a bald face hit, don't you think, There. So? <laughs> yeah.
1: But you, you, know, like, you know more than I do, because I've kind of kept myself out of the loop just because I know you don't know what plans could get changed. You don't know what, what could happen any time. Behind well, the doors of the executive suites here in the uh, world headquarters, lots of things are, are, are happening.
0: Well, yeah. That's Calls right. are made George, every day. This is a family radio station. is oh, yeah. a family radio show. We can't talk about that stuff. <laughs> no, 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 no. I'm not
1: saying that. I'm just saying so many things are happening behind the scenes here that I don't privy myself
0: to when it comes to this party. What's one of the fun things about working the media? I mean, everything changes so quickly. Oh, yeah. You never know what's going to be happening next. Now, something weird. I'm 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 up here in Canada right now, up in uh, Toronto. In Toronto, the uh, one of the largest cities in North America, largest city in Canada, and there's been a garbage strike going on for, for weeks now. We're in the we're, we're entering our fourth week of a city workers strike, which means nothing's being cleaned off the streets. If if it drops there, either the wind's blowing it or it's sitting there until uh, some civic-minded citizen picks it up or until the garbage strike is over. And uh, readers of the Webmaster Radio blog might have seen the rant I put up there on Tuesday about phone books. Phone books drive me crazy. They drive me nuts, George. They, phone books make me loopy. Now, it used to be that printing a phone directory was a license to print money. But honestly, ask mm-hmm. yourself, when's the last time you opened a phone book? Well, I haven't last. opened a phone book for the longest time.
1: Almost about as long as I read a newspaper.
0: <laughs> well, Indeed. Indeed. So, Toronto is littered with the, with new phone books that were delivered, but nobody really gives a damn. And I guess this might have happened last year, too. Um, but last year, we didn't have a civic workers strike, so they were picked up and, you know, recycled or whatever. The heck gets done to old phone books. This year, they haven't been. See, everyone uses the Internet. I. I don't even I don't, I don't look in the phone in the yellow pages for a pizza anymore. I look online, and then I don't, I don't even use the phone. I order my pizza online. You know, I use my credit card. I don't even have to touch cash. Um, phone books drive me crazy. They'd be so much better if they were still old growth forests. Facebook had an interesting thing happen up in Canada. The, the Canada thing was actually a segue into the Facebook privacy thing, but it made me think of phone books. And you know how you know how phone books set me off, George. Um. <laughs> But see what's Canada's odd part- there is the fact that it's um it's a union job up there. Uh garbage collection? Yeah. In some municipalities it is, yes. In the because, city of Toronto, it's a union job.
1: Right, because the, see where I'm at is privatized. And private companies run the waste management down here. Mm-hmm. And a lot of well, know, know, a lot of major cities do that now. It's not even a, um responsible, it's not even a civic job anymore. So that in, was, one of, yeah.
0: in one of the bedroom communities of Toronto, Etobicoke, where my parents live, um, basically, it's basically the same city, much like uh, Fort, Lauderdale, Fort Lauderdale, Miami. It's one long city. eh? But the area of, uh, of Etobicoke, where my parents live, they have private garbage collection. And so it's a weird phenomena where I go visit them for Sunday supper, and I don't bring my laundry in, over anymore. I now bring bags of garbage over so I can throw it out there
1: well New York City has public gar- has private garbage too doesn't
0: it well that that was I mean that happened because Giuliani wanted to clean up the city and so the the the, the waste management services were so infected with mafia back in the uh, in the 80s and the early 90s he just shut them right down and brought in private contractors yep. there was a lot of money in it a huge amount of money in it. Now that's not the problem in Toronto. It has nothing to do with organized crime. It's just it's a union issue. It's a labor issue. I'm not going to go one way or another on the, uh, on why the strike is happening. I have my own opinions, but we got phone books. Nobody picks them up. Nobody uses them. They're littering the streets. I swear to God, I I, I saw a woodpecker trying to trying to, drill a hole in one and getting frustrated because he uh, you know, couldn't drill a hole in it. It was awful. But I I want to jump ahead to something the listeners might actually really care about, and that's Facebook. Canada is a different country than America. We have a privacy commissioner. The privacy Commissioner's, commissioner's job is to literally look out for the privacy and protect the privacy rights of all Canadians. It's a federally mandated position. Jennifer Stoddard is the Canadian privacy commissioner, and... On yesterday, or I'm sorry, earlier today, she ruled that Facebook is in violation of Canada's privacy laws, citing serious privacy gaps in the way Facebook treats its 12 million Canadian users. Now, Facebook just topped 250 million users. So 12 million users in Canada is about 5% of the Facebook population. The Privacy Commissioner, uh, Ms. Stoddart, her... She cited Facebook's policy to keep indefinitely personal information of people who've deactivated their accounts, Um, the confusing or incomplete way Facebook provides information to users about privacy practices, and the sharing of users' personal information with third-party developers, the people who make games, quizzes, online poker, etc. So because of these three items... Facebook may have to change its practices. And if it doesn't change its practices and policies to come into compliance with Canada's Privacy Act, the Office of the Privacy Commissioner can take the California-based company to federal court here in Canada to force them to enforce their recommendations. Now, I've not seen this happen in the tech industry before where a... Um, at least not, not not in the case of Canada. I remember in Germany with Google um, and with uh, eBay and the uh, and neo-Nazi paraphernalia or neo-na- neo-Nazi sites. But I think this is the first time Facebook's ever faced something like this, and it's going to be very interesting to see how they react to it. Um, we really got to get moving. Uh, we have this. We have Charlene Lee coming up in a few minutes here on Web before we get to that. I had a little bit of fun with Facebook the other day. I was uh, looking at my friend count and I noticed that I was uh, in the 660 range. And I thought, wow, I wonder who number 666 is going to be. And then I thought, you know, I want somebody evil. If you're going to get somebody to be your 666th friend on Facebook, you want that person to be so evil that, well, I wanted somebody who'd be so evil they would literally scare the shit out of Satan and stick around to eat the excrement later. That's how evil I wanted somebody. I mean, I just wanted stomach, somebody who is so stomach-cringing, they make Bernie Madoff uncomfortable. So I put it out there. I put it out to the universe. I put it out on, on Twitter. I put it out on the blog. I put it out um, over Facebook. So that I'd mention how evil this person was on Webcology, which I'm doing right now. And I thought, okay, I'm going to get like some of the most serious black hats or... I'm going to get like, just like, like somebody who eats kittens for breakfast or something to sign up. And, you know, I got, I got a couple of people who really wanted to, and, uh, so I'm sitting there at 665 visitors and my inbox is filling up full of, uh, full of people who want to be evil 666. And my second cousin, Amanda Arthur. I sent her a, I sent her a friend request over like a month ago, eh? This is of my second cousin who's really far too young to be evil yet, uh, decided to, to friend me, and she became number 666. So anyone who tuned in expecting me to reveal the face of evil, I'm sorry, unless uh, my, my, my second cousin, Amanda, who is actually the spitting image of, of, uh, of her mother when she was her age, who is certainly not evil, Unless Amanda turns really evil really soon, which I don't see happening. Um, Sorry. The face of evil didn't show itself. Um, At least it didn't show itself to be number 666. Now, I think Grunt, who became my 667th friend, well, he might be evil. But Amanda Arthur, sorry, hon. You might be number 666, but you're just not evil to me. Okay, moving along. Uh, we have SESN today coming up. We talked about that. We have the 666 visitor, talked about that. There ain't no Google Dance, so we don't even need to talk about that. Um, last thing I'm going to talk about before we go to break and come back with Charlene Lee is an uh, a, uh, article I saw over at the SEO Moz blog. It was published, uh, written by Sam Nichols. It was published today, July 16th. Tech Crunch Upskirt, why Michael Arrington blogs about porn. So it turns out, and this is, this is really good, uh, go to seomods.org slash blog. It'll be one of the very first entries. According to, uh, according to Sam Nichols, last year TechCrunch made over 550 blog posts with the word porn in the body of the post. Now, even if Michael wrote every day of the year, which he doesn't, there's, there's only 365 days of the year. So he's got a couple days where he's doubling up on the porn here. Or on the word porn. As it turns out, there's ways to opt to use the word porn in a headline, get a whole bunch of traffic, and optimize your page in such a way that your advertisers are going to get a lot more clicks. Check it out at the SEOmoz.org blog. It's a, it's a fun little piece. It's definitely worth the read. Tech Crunch Up Skirt Why Michael Arrington Blogs About Porn. Well... Now I know. Okay, this is Jim Hedger from WebmasterRadio.fm. You're listening to Webcology on WebmasterRadio.fm. We are coming back with an interview that was recorded yesterday in advance of SES San Jose. Charlene Lee is giving the keynote on the third day. We're going to be talking to her about search. We're going to be talking to her about social. We're going to be talking to her about the business of Bing and the business of Google. So stay tuned, friends. Two and a half minutes from now, we'll be back with Charlene Lee from the Altimeter Group.
1: Sit tight and don't move. Webcology. We'll be back after this short break. Did you know?
0: 99 Designs is the leading marketplace for graphic design on the internet.
1: Did you know?
0: 99 Designs connects you to a community of over
1: 35,000 designers who will compete to do the best work for you. Did you know? 99 Designs allows you to post projects for logo design, web page design, t-shirt design, and more. Did you know? 99 Designs projects the average of over 70 different design options for a price that you set. 99 Designs. When designers compete, you win. Does your
0: website need Bailout. Looking for a conversion rate stimulus package? Do you need a website improvement to do list? On Target, a subscription service from Future Now and Brian Eisenberg, monitors your website 24 7, analyzing the actions of every potential customer. It gives you a to do list. It tells you exactly what to fix and how to fix it so that more of your visitors do what you need them to do. On Target pricing starts at $1,000 a month. See more at slash On Target. I'm Brian Eisenberg and I approve
1: local advertising localpages.com bringing your neighborhood to you
2: please hold while we connect you to one of the most sought-after experts in seo analytics and web development office hours with vanessa fox thursday at 4 p.m eastern 1 p.m pacific or on demand anytime inside the search engine optimization channel only on webmasterradio.fm
1: commercials off Webcology, only on WebmasterRadio.fm.
0: Here are the hosts, Jim Hedger and Dave Deavis. We're back here on Webcology, and we're joined for this last segment by Charlene Lee, one of the true thought leaders and best-known industry analysts in the tech sector. Her career can possibly be best summed up, saying she works to build knowledge bridges between the tech world and the mainstream world, including the investment community. And she now runs the Altimeter Group, and is a sought-after speaker and authority. She'll be kind enough to give us a few minutes here on Webmaster Radio. Uh, Charlene, welcome to the network. Thanks very much. Uh, Charlene Lee, you're delivering the keynote speech on day three of and Strategy San Jose, how to prepare for the future of search. How would you describe the future of search?
2: Well, I think search for the past couple of years has been very much uh, dominated by a few players, and it's been pretty much just 10 links on a page, on a search results page, and that's how people think of search. But if you think about the ways that search is changing, we search on many different places from many different types of things, from images to locations to recommendations, especially from our friends. So I'll be taking a look at all the different ways of new technologies and the ways that Um, Again, even those 10 blue links, how they're being influenced by things like personalized search, semantic search, but especially, uh, given my background, looking at the role of social search going into the future. And as I paint that future, thinking about how to prepare
0: for it. Well, um, how are social networks and and emerging social networks especially affecting search search as we know it, the the 10 blue links?
2: I think the biggest one is, first of all, in terms of inputs. There is something called the real-time web being created by blog posts, by Twitter feeds, where the content needs to be uh, refreshed much more frequently than the traditional search engine's bots and spiders will go out there and look for. So you were pretty lucky if a search engine would come by your site once a week or once a couple times a week or even once a day to go and index it and see what was happening there. But I think that the fact of the matter is content is being created at a much higher rate now, especially as these social tools, these self-publishing tools are are making things available. So if I'm trying to find out the latest and greatest information about fast-changing topics around technology or business or political events like the Iran election, uh, the search engine traditionally isn't the best place to go for that, uh, but primarily because the information isn't being updated as frequently. So I think, again, the the social web, so to speak, the social media part of the world, is, is changing primarily because the content is coming in. Then there's the exploration site. The places where I would want to get the answers for some of my key questions, like where's a good place to go for dinner tonight, probably are best answered by my friends, um, the people who know me or people who I respect, better and and faster probably than a traditional search engine would. So that's what I mean by sort of social coming in and also going out in terms of the search index and also the search results.
0: Well, Charlene, you've had a ringside seat on the tech world for 15 years now. When did social technologies begin to emerge and make an impact on the Internet?
2: Well, one of the things I started doing way back when I was in in newspaper publishing was really start, uh, looking at the role of citizen journalism even back in 1996 when I was publishing with community newspapers. But it was too early then, frankly. Uh, we were still on dial-up connections primarily. There weren't digital cameras. So the ability for it to put the power of publishing in the hands of people didn't really come around um, until about 2001 or 2002. And then you saw an explosion of self-publishing tools, again, these social tools, uh, that, are not o- that not only allow people to create content, but more importantly, to connect and find each other. So it was, a, it was about 2002, 2003, for blogging, RSS as a technology to tie all this together, and especially the social networking sites starting about 2003, 2004, really started to, to come into fruition. So this is a pretty new phenomenon, and, and I think the fact that so many people are using it shows the, the, the general appeal of how compelling these services
0: can be. You no, know, even though it's a new phenomenon, 2002 and 2004 seems like decades ago. How many of the earliest social technologies and social technology tools still exist? And of those that still exist, how have they evolved over time?
2: Well, I think you see that one of the the truisms about the space is that there seems to be a very very small, short life cycle. So some of those big social networks that existed back in 2003-2004 that launched were places like Friendster or MySpace or, um, again, places like um, MySpace, too, and LinkedIn. Now, LinkedIn is still growing very strong. MySpace is throwing a bit of fraying around the edges, but still a very strong community. And um, Facebook didn't really start until about 2005, 2006. So a little bit later in the life cycle, but still going very strong. Twitter came out of the woodwork in 2007. So I think the one truism about the space is that it continues to innovate because the technologies change, uh, but also because people are changing. They're becoming more used to and more comfortable with what they do online, especially of the types of information they share. I think if you go back to the early adopters back in 2003, 2004, if they could imagine a world painted by Twitter and Facebook, some of the leading um, beacons today. They couldn't even imagine having that kind of ability. So things change very quickly, not on the technology side, but also what people are comfortable
0: doing on these sites. Last week, CNN Money quoted you saying about Dig, quote, they don't have the sort of vibe of being the darlings of Silicon Valley anymore. What happened? And uh, what does it take to have staying power in such a dynamic environment?
2: I think the quote was in context of they may not have the buzz, but they're still doing very, very well. And, and I think it points to the maturity of a site like Dig. Uh, again, once you get onto the front cover of Business Week, for example, like Kevin, Kevin did, it's, um, it's hard to, to top that. And so they got a lot of buzz. They're still doing a lot of very interesting things. Um, but because they're not the hot new company anymore, it doesn't mean though that they aren't interesting and aren't doing interesting things. And I think like everyone else, they're struggling with how do you um, compete in a world where there are so many choices not only to read content but also to publish content. So the traditional big uh, citizens, Oh, also now on Twitter, they're also on Facebook. So they're tying all those services together into DIG to make it more relevant to not only the people who use DIG, but to make DIG relevant to those communities, too, as well. So I think what? the fact that DIG is still very relevant, that they're engaged in these things, that they continue to innovate is a good sign. But they, they aren't the hot new kid on the block. That's, um, again, the role of, of Twitter to some extent today, and I can guarantee you there'll be another one in another few months.
0: Well, a few moments ago, you mentioned both Twitter and Facebook, and they they feel like they're the two newest dominant social networking uh, tools. How much room do companies like Twitter and Facebook have to grow or to evolve in this environment?
2: I I think they have a tremendous amount of room to grow. Um, One of the hallmarks of Facebook, I think, is that they continue to innovate and they, they, even to the point where they make their core audience, for example, original college students, very annoyed with them. Like, you know, you're letting my parents come on Facebook and friend me. How could you do that to me? So, but I think what Facebook is very good at is figuring out not only what works well for their users, but also what works well for Facebook and what Facebook needs to do. Um, and, and, and the same thing with Twitter. There's so many things that Twitter could do, focus on profitability or revenue models, for example, uh, but it's deciding because it has a Money right now to focus on securing its platform and its growth and, and making sure that's a stable platform, which is, again, I think a very smart thing to do. It, again, these are two companies that I think are playing by very different rules than I think most traditional companies are, and, and right now it seems to be doing well by them. I think the, 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 the marketplace, though, is very dynamic, um, and it doesn't take a lot for, uh, for very fast-moving companies to stumble, as they often will fail well, for example, with, with Twitter in particular, but, um, but I think, again, that, that the strong base of users that they have, a the loyalty they have of their users um, means that people will stick around.
0: Looking at, going back to your book, uh, your most recent book, Groundswell, Winning a World Transformed by Social Technologies, how have social networks affected um, the marketing cycle for, for larger companies?
2: Oh, it's, it's impacted quite a bit, especially if those companies have uh, customers in, 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 a, in, base, in their install base with um, who are very active in these networks. I think that the reality is they may not have to actively participate and what's going on in the social networks, but they better darn well be aware of what's happening in there. Um, trying to put your head in the sand like an ostrich and try to ignore that there, I think it's the absolute wrong thing. So, social networks like Facebook, MySpace, LinkedIn, all very important, but I think in general there are still blogs or discussion groups, you know, 30-year-old technology discussion forums are still very important for companies to be looking at, tracking, and, and monitoring what's happening. And then the, the hard part is deciding when do you engage? How do you engage? Um, on what topics? How deeply? With whom? These are all tough questions. I think that that marketing departments in the past never had to deal with. So you could you could create your campaign, your marketing structures fairly independently of what the customers were doing. Now you actively have to take into account where your customers want to interact with you, are interacting with you, um, are talking about you, and take that into account when you're putting together your marketing strategy.
0: When you're, when you're thinking about a marketing strategy through social networks, is there such a thing as a mainstream consumer anymore?
2: Well, define what mainstream means. Um, if you think about um, instant messaging as being a fairly mainstream um, product that people use, it's not, you know half the population that's online doesn't use it. But people kind of expect that that's something that you need to think about in use years. Or sweepstakes or coupons. Again, not everyone uses those, but those are considered mainstream channels for marketing. So I think the fact that what mainstream is not even close to 50%, I think it's attraction that if you can identify um, a, a market, a, an audience that uses this that's very compelling to you, then you better be there. So what's mainstream now? Again, if you're a very large consumer products company, you may be able to define what mainstream is. But very few companies, I think, are are thinking that way. And it's really about aggregating all these discrete audiences and having the conversations with them that they want to have, the relationships you want to build with
0: them. That's really important. At the South by Southwest Conference in March this year, we spoke on the future of social networks. Four months later, have events the events of the last four months changed the future that you foresaw?
2: Um, I think it's actually um, uh, made it even stronger the the case that I was trying to make there. Uh, The future that I foresee is that social networks would be like air. And what I mean by that is not the social networking sites, but your social network, your social graph. Uh, will be anywhere and everywhere you need it. And the proliferation, I think, of Facebook Connect in particular is making that very true. What Facebook has realized is, you know, people spend most of their time outside of Facebook doing the real things that they need to get done in their lives. And your social network in those areas could be extremely helpful. So they have a deal with, for example, a City CitySearch, um, and MySpace has the same deal, too, where you can take your network and use it on City Search, which makes a lot of sense in that if I want to see reviews of a restaurant, I don't want to just see reviews from some anonymous person who has no idea who this person is. I want to see my foodie friend's reviews, and not just on Facebook or MySpace and CitySearch. I want to see where that foodie friend has commented anything about food because I respect her opinion around food and restaurants and places to eat. But I can do that now instead of just paying that one foodie friend, I can see all of my friends who are really into foods and see if there's a consensus on a good place to go for a date night dinner with my husband, for example. So being able to tap into your friends um, for whatever issue or design it is, anything from shopping to where to go for my vacation, dinner to eat, um, computer to buy, that can be extremely valuable. And if you are a marketer, being able to influence that part of the decision-making funnel. It's no longer just about awareness, where traditional branding has been, or in the purchase part, which you know is oftentimes influenced by search. It's that preference and consideration um, part of the middle part of the funnel, the black hole of consideration is what I call it, where you can start making actual inroads into because of social networks, because you can be injected into those conversations that people are having.
0: Earlier today, um, Microsoft's new search engine, Bing, announced a Twitter-specific search tool. How much of a push-pull do you see happening between the traditional world of search engines and the emerging world of social networks?
2: Again, it's, it's um, what I sort of referenced before at the beginning, which is the, um, the real-time web so to speak, which is represented by Twitter and status updates on social networking sites, um, is becoming more and more important for people to be able to track and and to monitor and to follow. So I I think, again, the traditional search engines don't do a good job of that and have problems integrating that set of content into it um, on a real-time basis. And so in many ways, you do need a separate search engine in much the same way that you have a separate engine, so to speak, or site, for news content and information. Um, Twitter is much much more like news than it is about web pages. And, and, and so therefore it needs a different way of searching. It's the same I think that the, the logic of it is it probably makes sense for it to be a separate search engine. Um, primarily because the the needs that you have are so specific to it. Sure, I can look for a job on the general search engines. They probably index the the job sites fairly well. But I can have parametric search. I can really focus in on exactly what I need inside a very specific um, engine like CareerBuilder or Monster.com for searching for jobs. So I think, again, more specialized search engines, that are somehow built in or integrated or related and, you know, just one click away from your general search engine is probably the way to go.
0: As I said in my introduction, you're one of the most quoted analysts in the industry. And one of the quotes you're best known for came out in the summer of 2004. And um, I'd like to revisit the quote. Um, Is Google still a one-trick pony?
2: (laughs) Um, I think in many ways it is. It's um, it's it's biggest trick, and it's a very, very nice looking pony. As I as I repeatedly say, it's a very nice looking pony. Very good trick. It's search engine advertising. It is by far. It's it's a brilliant product. They continue to invest in it to make it better. Um, it is just a machine. It, But I think you point to some of the other things that they have. Uh, For example, in brand advertising, they're still trying to make inroads, and they're slowly making inroads into there, especially with the double-click acquisition, new talent in New York. Um, You see, um, especially on the app side, new revenue generated. Uh, Point of disclosure, I pay Google tons of money because I use Google Apps. So I think, again, they're, they're starting to diversify, but these are sort of like little nuances compared to this big, huge Engine that they have with search engine advertising. So I think they continue to invest in it. But the reality is, is the vast, vast majority of their revenues and their activities are supporting search engine
0: advertising.
2: Search advertising.
0: Microsoft is trying to become a credible force in the search sphere. Google just announced that they're going to become going to try to become a credible force in the operating system sphere. Why are these two major companies copying each other?
2: Because what um, I think, again, they they are going after the same thing, which is they want to be the starting point for the user's experience online. And if you can be the operating system and you can dictate so many different things in terms of what the experience looks like, then it it increasingly, um, especially if the only thing that you have running that operating system is the browser, then that browser is the source of tremendous advertising. Again, back to Google's strength search advertising um, that you can, you can peg it on. But I think what, um, and so Google realizes that they can cut out everyone and be the funnel for those interactions through the browser that they own and, and supply through the OS. It can be a tremendous coup on their part. It's equivalent to having the default browser on the operating system and nothing else running. So everything has to run through, through the Google Chrome browser. Um, as you can imagine, that's just an advertising bonanza for Google. The, because the biggest problem they have right now is that they can see a lot of things that are happening, but only if they can touch it. So, if only things that they can see is search and nothing else, then um, it, it reduces the amount of advertising they can do. But if everything goes through the Chrome browser, again with privacy controls and everything, then they can see a lot more and therefore some more advertising. Um, And then Microsoft, of course, sees the huge amount of money that Google is making and just salivates and says, we deserve a bigger part of that, which is why they're investing so much in the Bing engine. And Bing is very smart, I think. They've decided to go after four very specific categories where you can generate the most advertising around. So if you're going to focus on anywhere, focus on the areas that actually generate revenues. So I think they've done
0: a great job at that. You know, as an analyst, looking at either the what Microsoft is trying to do with Bing, or Google is trying to do with Chrome, what are signal points that, you know, looking into the future might tell you that these initiatives are, are either going to be successful or not going to be successful?
2: Oh, that's a good question. I, I think one of the, the key things, again, uh, especially the thing that was uh, very impressive Bing, is the, the matter of focus and um, how focused they were on four specific Categories and really trying to do those well, and and I think they're state of the art. They're excellent, excellent services, um, for, especially in using some of the machine learning to, to drive a lot of that that content that you need to make decisions. For example, um, local shopping reviews, restaurants, um, and again with travel, uh, historical information about what fairs have been at. So and again, I think I think that's like state of the art thinking and, and learning that they've been able to put into that. The, but the thing I'd look for is, again, not just these one-offs, but continually, what kind of investment are they going to make? Is these are big, huge plays that nobody else can be successful at. And these two are very, very squarely focused at each other. And then you throw into that mix another third player, which I think people forget about, which is Facebook. Facebook is very, very focused at Google. And they have as their partner, Microsoft. Um, again, Microsoft's invested in Facebook. Um, Facebook's advertising is, is from, from the banner ads, are, are run by Microsoft. So there's an alliance there. And they see Google as a, as a as not so much a common enemy but a, a, a common target. So I think, again, there's some very big players who are, are putting out some very big stakes in the game. And uh, Google definitely looks at Facebook, too, as well. So how do I think about the success of these companies? Uh, well, I think as a big caveat, having watched this industry for so long now, Yahoo, um, who, is, who is very, very focused for a long time as the leader, but really took its eye off the ball and tried to become a media company um, and, and really focused on that and missed the whole entire boat of where search and technology is going um, and let Google really, really pretty much let Google walk away with it. What I don't see these three companies doing is making any assumptions, and they're all three very paranoid of each other, frankly. And I I think that will prove them to be very, very stiff competitors against each other.
0: Charlene, Fast Company has called you one of the most influential women in technology. Um, Your book, Groundswell, is on Amazon's top 10 business books in 2008. Um, It's been called The Best book ever written on marketing and media by Abby Classen of Advertising Age. This is all heavy praise for you and your work. Do you spend much time thinking about Amazon rankings and reviews from your peers? Does this stuff still affect you?
2: Um, I, I don't look at my Amazon ranking. I have no idea where it is right now. Um, I, I don't really because it's sort of the work that I've done already and so I'm focused much more on the work going forward. Um, I'm thinking about a new book I'm thinking about um, new research to do Um, I'm thinking about the clients who I have to serve so uh, it's great I got those accolades I really appreciate them and I've got to move on and and think about the next thing Um, because that's the only way you can continue to, to be relevant in this space is to be continually offering value so it's, it, I find it exciting and invigorating that the space is so changing and, and I really do like this um, interface between technology and business. I don't see myself as a technologist. I can't code with beans. Um, but I, I can understand the trends, be able to suss them out, ex- examine where they will go and make sense of them for business people. So, and, and I think it's that intersection between looking at trends and explaining it, making it legible and, and understandable for the business audience. that I've been very
0: focused on. Well, Charlene, I so look forward to hearing your keynote on day three of uh, Search Engine Strategies in San Jose, how to prepare for the future of search. I look forward to meeting you there, and thank you so much for spending time with us on Webmaster Radio today.
2: Thank you very much for having me.
0: Sit
1: tight and don't move. Webcology will be back after this short break. Here's your bill. I'm telling you, this network is recession-proof. RevenueWire, the recession-proof network platform. For more information, visit RevenueWire.com today. That's RevenueWire.com. From Fort Lauderdale, Florida. WebmasterRadio.fm.
0: A service of new-gen broadcasting. We're everywhere.
1: XYZ, affiliate mark. Are you an affiliate? If yes, still pay me. No ifs, as, or maybes. Get paid daily. Make a mad day. Quickly convert the clicks into the cash. Affiliate marketing network is first place. I cut to the chase. It's all performance base. Listen to what I'm telling you. Cause this what you better do. Join as a publisher and maximize your revenue. You think we agreed that money is what you need, you need You can be paid from sales and leave. Not one thing lacking. Don't get it cracking. Even from a quick state of the art tracking. 47 <gasps>
2: affiliates. Do you find it a challenge monetizing traffic from the UK, France, or India? You need offers that will appeal to all of your visitors, no matter where they come from. AdsMarket.com has met this challenge and has turned it into a science. AdsMarket.com gets results for publishers and advertisers with a winning formula. The combination of offers, worldwide traffic, and AdsMarket's up-close and personal media management is exactly the boost needed to monetize international audiences. AdsMarket.com. The science
0: of performance. PPC Rockstars will take you to the promised land of PPC profit. Live broadcast Mondays at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific, or on demand anytime inside the advertising channel.
1: Only on webmasterradio.fm. Commercials off. Now back to Webcology, only on webmasterradio.fm. You are the host, Jim Hedger and Dave Davies.
0: Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Web Webcology for Thursday, July the 16th, 2009. We're in the last few minutes of the show. And, uh, man, I'm really pleased with that interview. That was, uh... Interviewing Charlene Lee is—it's one of those uh, high points of career moments. And hey, George, do you notice uh, somewhere in there, Charlene Lee says to me, "Hey, Jim, nice question."
1: Yeah, the thing is, you hit every current topic there was, and it's like you basically you threw a headline out there, and you wanted to take advantage of her expertise on every new topic that was out there.
0: Well, when you, when you get somebody like Charlene Lee on the phone and you have, like, a limited time to get an interview right. in with her, you get – I mean, you've you, you got to scrape the barrel. you got to get as much information out of this person as possible.
1: And see, but we you – know, yeah, go ahead. Well, I was going to say uh, – sorry to cut you. Um, we had her – well, Larry Weber had her on as a guest to talk about her career and to talk about certain things when it comes to um, – his story his show's always about social media, e-communities, the blogosphere, but when it comes to search – this is a different. Uh, this is a different side of Charlene we didn't get to have before, and to what? use her expertise to, to really get what her insight is on it was quite fascinating.
0: One of the top analysts in the industry, but I got to tell you, I'm never sure how to take it when someone says nice question or good questions. I always, you know, I always think that that means you just ask something so stupid they're trying to say, what are you like a retard? Um, but. It's a compliment, I'm sure. I just always get really feeling weird about that. I just don't okay. think you
1: realize how often that happens, Jim. I hear that Thanks, a lot. George. Oh, that's, that's confidence inspiring. It's true. <laughs> you, it's true. You don't. I don't think you. You don't even realize because you're setting up the next question, or you're trying to get what you whatever you're trying to intake from that last question. But you get that a lot. You just don't realize it. How many hours have I produced with you? I hear a Good question. That's a good. Uh, it happens all the time. Yeah, back
0: at the short bus. That's right. Not to mention, that's, that's not to mention all the times you, we back at the short bus.
1: <laughs> not to, not to mention. Okay, without naming names, we've had a couple of interviews even lately where you've asked such a good question. When we're taping an interview, you had to stop and <laughs> hold on a second. Let me research that real quick.
0: <laughs> you've yeah, had that's, to do that. yeah that's, I love when that happens. That's you know who fun. I'm talking you have about Goals too. going into these things, eh? But con- yeah. confounding the guest is not one of the goals. Um, but it happened. <laughs> so uh, yeah. I didn't do birthdays yet. I can't believe I totally spaced doing. Birth. I loved. I, I love talking about people's birthdays because then they got to get me a present or buy me a drink or something. And so we just done today. But there are some tomorrow and Saturday. Um, Hazel Fruitman. Now, and I, I know a lot of our listeners don't know the name Hazel Fruitman. But anyone who was at affiliate convention in Denver last month, um, they they saw how smoothly that show went. And, um, you know, you never get to see the background behind the scenes at one of these shows. Behind the scenes, it's always chaos. Believe me, let me tell you, it's chaos. Hazel Fruitman was working with Webmaster Radio on on Affiliate Convention. She was our continuity person. She kept that chaos to a survivable minimum. So, Hazel, sister, happy birthday tomorrow.
2: Happy birthday!
0: Scott Richter from uh, Affiliates.com. Birthday on Saturday. And, uh, you know, the Victoria audience will know this fellow, uh, Tyler McDonald. I don't think anybody else will, but uh, a fairly, fairly significant developer in Victoria, B.C., Tyler McDonald. Happy birthday, brother. That's, uh, that's it for the birthdays. Um, one last thing I want to – I'm going to go over this really fast. I know that I'm, uh, I'm uh, cutting time here really closely. This article over at Search Engine Land, written by Matt McGee. It was posted um, – few hours ago, what happened to Google's commitment to transparency? And the article looks at the way Google's changing search results or, or messing with personal with personalizing or localizing search results and not necessarily telling the user that it's doing it. Now a year ago Google promised a lot more transparency when it came to personalization of results and um, you know, Matt's article is is out there saying we just don't think they've delivered i 've got to agree with them and um, for people in the web marketing industry you know we, we we target these keyword phrases, be it in the PPC world or in the organic search world we create specific titles for specific reasons on our on our on, on our clients' websites and then um, Google goes and pulls the dmos on us, and uh, then we'll change those titles around or we'll you know mess with the results as they come up without informing the search user that's very untransparent that's so opaque could be a wall cool uh, note to Google I know you're monitoring the broadcast. check out Matt McGee's check out Matt McGee's article at Search engine land today. He's telling you something you just gotta know um, friends that's about it for webology here on webmaster radio fm for Thursday, July the 16th. We have Affiliate Marketing Insider coming up right behind us, Linda Woods, just one of the queens of the affiliate marketing world. Um, stay tuned to the network. We have Office Tower uh, coming up later on today and a lot more great content coming up here on WebmasterRadio.fm. Uh, this is Jim Hedger on behalf of Dave Davies. Talk to you next week. Stick around the network. Great content coming up.